Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Today's episode is brought to you by Mahina Offshore Services, which is the company run by John Neal, who has been a guest on the podcast many times before. Mahina Offshore Services offers three ways to help you get started with a sailing lifestyle. There's ocean sail training expeditions in many places around the world, boat selection consultation if you are planning on boat shopping, and last but not least, a virtual offshore cruising seminar which is a great resource you can do at your own pace from the comfort of your couch. And you can learn more about all of these and also some free resources on the website mahina.com. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. You know, we've been cruising for, coastal cruising for 20 years. When we were first talking about, you know, doing this trip, and in my head, I'm just thinking... I just have to multiply out, you know, three weeks out into a year. And it really doesn't work like that. It's really an entirely different level of preparation. And living on a boat is very different from weekending or even three weeks of cruising. It's, it's, a, it's a very different level of preparation that as much as I thought I was prepared, I wasn't. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast, where we are taking a trip to the United States and exploring the eastern coast in a big loop. Joining me today is Deb Reimer, who, along with her husband, embarked on a one-year, 6,000-mile journey around the Great Loop, 
after 20 years of coastal cruising in the Great Lakes. The Great Loop is a continuous waterway that includes the Atlantic, Gulf Intracoastal Waterways, the Great Lakes, Canadian Heritage Canals, and the inland rivers of America's heartland. In this episode, we'll be discussing Deb's amazing journey and sharing some general tips for anyone looking to embark on the Great Loop adventure. So without further ado, let's get started with Deb Reimer. What has been your sailing journey like and how long have you been sailing? We, well, um, my husband and I started sailing as a family about 23 years ago, um, 22, 23 years ago. Um, We started on a 24-foot sailboat with a swing keel, um, and we did parts of the North Channel up in um, Canada, and um, we really fell in love with cruising then, and then have kind of gotten larger boats through the years. And um, so we've expanded a little bit of our cruising grounds, you know, before we took this trip. But I think the longest we'd ever done on the boat in a summer was almost four weeks. So, you know, it was very much coastal cruising, um, that, and then, you know, we had our kids on board. And and so our sailing grounds were kind of um, northern Lake Huron and up into Canada a little bit. Yeah, so a lot of Great Lakes sailing, which I've heard is just wonderful. At what point did you start sailing in your life? Was it, uh, have you been sailing since you were a kid or at a later age or? No, I started sailing when we, I mean, seriously, when we bought our boat. My husband crewed on race boats for a few years and actually had quite a bit more sailing experience than I did. But that first, that 24-foot boat was my introduction to sailing, which was sometimes kind of a steep learning curve because you're packing two adults and a nine-year-old into the space that's not much bigger than a good-sized minivan. Yeah, yeah, they're not big, that's for sure. Yeah, 24 feet. And and what was the boat that you then did your Great Loop with? We have a Catalina 34. You know, we had kind of, we went from our little 24-foot, technically day sailor, that we turned into a cruiser, and then we had a Catalina 25, and then we bought a Catalina 30, and then um, we bought the 34 because it had two cabins, you know, two, two separate sleep spaces because we knew we were going to do this trip and we wanted to be able to have family come and visit. And what it turned out to be was the second cabin was our garage. We had folding bikes and stuff and spares, and it turned out not to be really, truly a, it wasn't a a boat that we could live on full time and have people visit comfortably. 
Because when you're living on the boat full time, there's a lot more stuff that you have. So we um, we bought a bigger boat. We bought a Morgan 41 that it really is big enough to have people and all our stuff. And so our plan is to take that boat kind of a circuitous route. We're going to go um, to Maine this summer and then in the fall take it south and then take it to the Bahamas for the winter. And so it'll be kind of our south boat, our winter boat. And then we're going to keep the Catalina for a summer cruising boat up here. Oh, right. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's uh, doing that winter loop of, you know, uh, Northeast US or Canada, you know, Maine and then south to the Bahamas. Is, it's my dream. It sounds so great. And uh, I had the opportunity to sail in Maine uh, this past summer and uh, it was just lovely there. So you'll, you'll it love is, it there. <laughs> it's beautiful and we're very excited. Oh, for sure. But before we get to that, let's talk about the Great Loop. So you bought your Catalina 34 uh, with that trip in mind. So what got you originally interested in the Great Loop after having done, you know, Great Lake sailing? You wanted to go maybe explore a little bit further or what was your driving force to explore that route? Well, we actually had friends who did the Great Loop about 20 six or 27 years ago. And I think before it was even officially the Great Loop, but they did that whole trip on their Catalina 25 with a 13-year-old and a four-year-old. And um, we kind of, and they took, they took a year to do it. And we kind of followed their trip as they went. And every time we got a letter or, you know, any update from them, we thought, oh my gosh, we want to do that. You know, that just sounds like an amazing trip. And then, um, so in that respect, it's always kind of in the been in the back of our head. It's just that it's always kind of been there. It was just when and on what boat and, you know, like what's going to be our start date. Yeah, exactly. And you left after retirement. I think you both retired. Is that correct? That's correct. Right. So you, of course, then had the time to take off <laughs> to, to go cruising a bit longer term as well. Yes, which, um, you know, that was and we actually went a year earlier than we had initially planned. We both my husband and I are nurses. And it had just, you know, you know what it is. The, the news it's been a, it's been a rough it had been a rough few years and um we just looked around and said you know maybe we just need to make sure to go now because life can be very short without it meaning to be so we actually went a year earlier than we had initially planned by then we had we had a good idea of what we wanted to do to the boat a plan as, you know, for when we were going to get those things done. And, and um, we kind of looked at it and said, yeah, we can, we can leave. And we, we left September 9th of 2021. And I, I look kind of puzzled there because we were gone for, uh, we came back 
September 19th, 2022. So we were gone almost exactly a year. And so I feel like that we kind of stepped out of the world for a year. And sometimes I have a hard time figuring out what year something happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was there somewhere. I know, yeah, the years start to look similar, but I'm glad that you got this uh, wonderful adventure. And uh, it's a big route. I I think I read somewhere that it can be anywhere between 5,000 to 7,000 miles, depending on the routes uh, you take or whether you take these offshoots, like the Rideau Canal here in Canada. Do you know the kilometers of your trip? You said it took about a year. We went about 6,000 miles. My husband, I'm he's figured out distances for parts of it, and we've done the math and things like that. But all told, I think it ended up being around 6,000 miles. Yeah, that is quite a few miles to, to cover in within that time frame. And uh, yeah, it's a huge distance. And uh, the next question, I don't know the answer because I have not read that much about the Great Loop, but does it matter which direction you go? Is it unidirectional or can you go whichever way you please? It's easier to go south down the river system because with the exception of a few chunks, that's generally the flow of the water. There are a couple of um, small parts on the Ohio River and the Cumberland River that you actually are going upstream, but it's under probably 50 miles. Going the river part of it, north to south, you're going the flow of the river. So it's definitely easier going that way. Yeah, and then you come up the ICW, mm-hmm. if that's where you came up. Yeah, exactly. And uh, is there a lot of sailing on that trip, or is it a motorboat journey? We motored probably close to 75% of the time. All of the river part was motoring because we had to step the mass to get under bridges and things like that or unstep the mast. And so we we started in St. Ignace, so the top of Michigan, came down Lake Michigan, went into the Illinois Sanitary Canal, which eventually connects to the Illinois River. And we took the mast down just a few miles in on the river. And then we were a motorboat until we got to Mobile, Alabama. Okay, yeah, yeah. So completely motor driven. But there is a spot on the river that some people do put their mast back up because they're, the the bridges get taller from there on out. But we shipped our mast from Chicago to Mobile instead of carrying it on the deck. So it, that wasn't an option for us. So we were we were truly a motorboat for an awfully long time. <laughs> <laughs> and then after Alabama, then it's it's mostly sailing, right? Because you get a little bit more into open water in, in some parts anyway. Definitely more sailing. And sailing so much is dependent on the wind direction and the direction you want to go, of course, and the timing and the not always do weather windows and wind and direction 
all mesh up. So even though, you know, we, we were in open water, we didn't always get to sail. That being said, we did have some amazing sailing days. If the opportunity was there to sail, we took it. But, you know, we also um, sometimes we're in a position of needing to get from A to B. And so you end up motoring. And sometimes there's no wind and you need to get somewhere. And so eh, you motor. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's how it goes. Now, you said you left in September, and which makes sense because you were up in Michigan. You know, winter is approaching. Great idea to head south. Is that sort of the typical time to start it if you are starting in, in your part of the world? I think yeah. so. And also, because we kept our boat in St. Ignace or in that little spot where people go up and around Michigan, we would see looper boats you know, through mid to late summer coming through that had started somewhere further south. And we're now making that, you know, loop around the top to head back south. Although, I mean, there were still boats that were leaving in October. Lake Michigan can get, can be not, not very nice sometimes in October. So September we had, we were fortunate, we had beautiful weather, but, you know, we did get weathered in a couple of times trying to get down to the river system and just high winds and things like that. And towards the end, that time of the year, you're just kind of, you know, those storms roll through sometimes, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. And uh, I met someone here in Ottawa last summer who was here on a, on a lovely boat. Um, and I noticed that it said Florida on the back of it. I was like, well, this is interesting. I was like, how did you get here? So we started talking because we don't see a whole lot of boats here in Ottawa on the Rideau Canal. And uh, they were doing the Great Loop, but they were doing it in sections. So I think they had a maybe a two-year plan or a three-year plan. And they did it sort of little by little. And they left the boat for a few months, I think, for the winter months. Then come back the next summer to finish the loop to the Great Lakes and then go back down. So certainly many different kinds of approaches to, to doing this, which is really oh, cool. Oh, absolutely. And uh, your boat was uh, a 34-foot Catalina, so I'm wondering about the keel. Uh, and how deep can you go there? <laughs> was it four or five-foot keel? Is it even that much on your boat? We have a wing keel, so I think it's about four foot ten inches. We had friends that had fin keels that were six feet. Going down the rivers, I don't think that keel depth was ever really an issue for us. It was probably, there were spots in the ICW that there was some skinny water through there. So there were certainly spots that people with deeper keels would have to make that section on the outside. And then coming through the Erie Canal, that was, um, I think it has a controlling depth of nine feet. So, you know, we're okay there. Coming across the Trent Severn, that canal system, there were some skinny spots in there too. So we were, we were happy not to have a very deep keel going through there. Yes, for sure, for sure. And that must be one of the safety hazards out there. Um, did you find, are there a lot of 
I don't know, debris or logs or anything like that in the river systems that you have to kind of keep an eye out for? Yes, definitely. Um, especially after big rains, storms would wash things into the river. I honestly, when we were preparing for this trip, you know, I'd read books that people had written about being, you know, doing the loop. And I honestly thought, you know, Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer floating down the river on a raft and it being very laid back, you know, very just kind of, you know, (laughs) this is so taking lots of naps, reading a hundred books. I did none of those things. It was very much, at least for us, all hands on deck all the time, because there's a, there's a lot of commercial traffic on the river until you get south until you get onto the Ten Tom River system, there's a lot of commercial traffic. So learning, you know, how to talk to the barge captains and, you know, that always required two people. There were locks that we went through. I think we figured out we went through over 200 locks on the trip. Oh, wow. Yeah. but a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And so going through locks is definitely a two- person job, but just kind of keeping an eye out and that because the rivers, you know, with the exception of the, where they'd put in an artificial canal or something to, to get a controlling depth or to straighten out a really curvy section or something like that. Um, rivers wander back and forth. And so we didn't really get to use the autopilot all that much going down the river. So somebody was always steering. Somebody always had to be at the helm. So it was very much a two-person job for us. And and watching for debris and logs. And we were fortunate. I mean, we bumped a few things. We would see them as they were sliding by behind us. That's always nerve-wracking. It's like, oh my gosh, we, you know, did you see that? No, did you? No. But we were very fortunate. We didn't have... We never hit anything hard enough to damage anything, but certainly we talked to people who had, you know, you had to stay in the channel and because it would get, you know, if you wandered too far off the the sail line, you know, it could get pretty shallow and it, it was much more active participation than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's really interesting because in my mind, I, I had the same image what you described, like, oh, it's pretty laid back, you know, you just sit back, it's a quiet river, but I had completely not thought about the commercial traffic. I just thought that, oh, maybe it's popular, maybe there's other, uh, you know, boats or kayakers or what have you. But of course, the commercial traffic is a whole different ball game. It is. And the captains, you know, all the captains that we talked to were very professional and very, you know, we never felt like we were unsure of what we were supposed to do. Everybody was, you know, okay, you need to pass on this side or this is where I want you to be. And so that part of it was actually, you know, one of the, once we got that figured out, you know, it became easier. The same with locks that, that became easier after we'd done, you know, a half a dozen of them. I think one of the most challenging things for both of us 
in our in our cruising experience, we very often went to the same places. And so we were familiar with, you know, when we put our anchor down, what it was going to land in, you know, how much water was there, what, you know, where to anchor, all of those things. And every day, you know, really the whole trip, if we were moving, we were moving to somewhere new. So there was a lot of, you know, where are we going to anchor? Is there facilities? You know, is there a way to get to shore? Because we had our dog with us all the way down the river, which just threw an extra little um, fun challenge in there. You know, is there a place to take her to shore? Is there, are, are we far enough out of the channel that we're not going to get run over in the middle of the night? You know, just little things like. Yeah, so certainly a lot of learning and kind of continuous learning. Like you said, you're always moving. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So where did you find all the information? How? Where did you find out? whether you can land there, whether there are facilities or how far is the closest grocery store or what have you. We, we bought um, the Skipper Bob guidebook um, and the waterways guide. Those are the two things that we used and they're updated regularly, but basically whatever you buy is, you know, probably a year old. So Occasionally, we would plan something based on what the the guidebook had, you know, a mile marker, you know, this is where we're going to anchor and, and then, and then when we get, we would get there and there would be no, there, there would be no water. <laughs> that was probably the most dramatic instance of the guidebook and reality not matching up. And we had planned to anchor in a particular spot, a little oxbow off the river. And we got there and that that little area was just a giant sandbar. There was no water at all. And, you know, we're at the end of the day and we're, you know, kind of running out of daylight <laughs> And we're thinking, um, hmm, we need a plan B, like right now. So, you know, there was a lot of frantically flipping through the guidebook going, okay, where's the next possible place to go? And, but that was probably the most dramatic thing. It was just like, oh, there's supposed to be eight to 10 feet of water over there. And there's no water over there. So 
That's interesting. So yeah, certainly the guidebook is literally just that it's a guide. It's not, you know, the, the final word. Uh, now you mentioned that there were, you know, it's getting more popular. There's more boats out there. Did you ever find that it was, you know, too busy or crowded? Not necessarily in terms of the commercial traffic, but in terms of just leisure boats? In No, while we were going down the river, Part of it probably stemmed from the fact that we were some days, I swear, the slowest boat on the river. I mean, we we would start out with a group, you know, and there might be two or three other boats in a marina or tied up on a wall somewhere or something like that. And they always, you know, we would be waving at their sterns as they motored away from us. There's a lot of river. It was very rare to go someplace and have it be crowded. Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, because, you know, I started thinking like, you know, it's hundreds of boats, but it's thousands of kilometers. So what are the chances that you <laughs> all get jammed into one place <laughs> around the same time? <laughs> we did find once we got to Florida, we were doing that the first three or four months of the year. That's just a big time for boating down there. And there are just so many boats in Florida. Well, for someone who's uh, preparing for the trip in general, uh, what would be your advice for someone who's thinking like, oh, maybe that could be a cool thing to, to do? You know, read books by or listen to, you know, podcasts of people who've done the loop. The America's Great Loop Cruising Association. So they're a great resource. You know, we we talked to people who'd never owned a boat before, bought a boat to do the loop, and then when they finished the loop, they were going to sell the boat. It felt like that there were folks that, you know, weren't particularly avid boaters before they decided to do the loop. You know, there are people that have been planning it for years and years and years, and then there are people that six months ago went, yeah, let's buy a boat and do the loop. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. Yes, because when I'm thinking about it, it almost uh, seems like uh, something that I would do as a first step before I do any sort of ocean cruising. You know, it seems easier, like, you know, it's contained, it's inland waterways. Is that faulty thinking, in your opinion? It's completely different. I think the inland part of it, down the river systems, has challenges that are every bit as great as doing ocean crossings and things like that. They're just very different. Yeah, it's just, it's very much apples and oranges. You know, we've been cruising for, coastal cruising for 20 years. When we were first talking about, you know, doing this trip, and in my head, I'm just thinking, I just have to multiply out you know, three weeks out into a year. And it really doesn't work like that. It's really an entirely different level of preparation. And living on a boat is very different from weekending or even three weeks of cruising. It's, it's, a, it's a very different level of preparation that um, as much as I thought I was prepared, I wasn't. <laughs> There was so much on-the-job learning that um, it does make you a lot more confident, you know, of us because you're 
doing the locks on the Erie Canal and the Trent Severn, we're like, oh, this is, you know, doing my first lock on the Illinois River. I, I mean, it was just, it was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I'm doing. And how are we not going to crash into the wall? Who's going to crash into, you know, it's just all these things. But by the time we got around to the Erie Canal, we're like, oh, we got this. So, you know, you can prepare as best as you can, but I don't think anyone is ever a hundred percent. They've got all of their bases covered. There's going to be something that was like, oh my gosh, I never even would have thought of that. And we had lots of those days. <laughs> well, but that could be part of the fun too, right? Like you're constantly learning about your boats, about yourself, about the water, about where you are. So, you know, it keeps things interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, we did learn so much about ourselves and our ability to keep going. You know, on the third day, it's 50 degrees and raining and you haven't had a hot shower in about three weeks. And you're thinking, what have we done? And then, you know, that's the day you see an eagle or, you know, you go through some just stunning stretch of the river or along the coastline and you think, okay, we can keep going. Yeah, yeah. And you are still going for new adventures. You mentioned you have a, a different boat now, Morgan 41, I think you said, and you're heading out to a little bit more open water now away from the inland a little bit. What are you looking forward to that in that experience? Oh, my gosh. And when we had initially made our plans for doing the loop, we wanted to do we wanted to go to the Bahamas for the winter. We had actually our first plan, we were going to be gone about 18 months. And then, you know, when we got to about plan G, it was, you know, we're just going to get home. And so we didn't get to go to Maine. That was on our original itinerary. And we didn't get to go to the Bahamas, just time constraints. And it takes a long time to go anywhere when you're only going five miles an hour. And so we came up with this plan that, you know, maybe we just need a boat that is already where we want to leave from, you know, that'll make it easier. So our plan for this summer is to take this new boat up to Maine, spend the summer up in Maine, sailing up there, and then in the fall, turn south and get it down to Georgia or something and then um, come home for Christmas, a couple of months over Christmas, and then spend the go back in January. Because something that we also didn't anticipate is that it can still be really cold in Florida in January. Well, you don't hear that often. You know, you and I living up here in, in Canada and Michigan, I was like, Florida, cold. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, my gosh. We had, sorry, I'm kind of looping around, but we were in Kentucky for Halloween, over Halloween weekend. And we got up a couple of mornings with frost on the deck. We thought we would be far enough, far enough south that, you know, I was really expecting short sleeves and shorts from most of the trip. And that, that certainly didn't happen. So the whole December, January in Florida, the weather's very unsettled. And so we would come home for those months and then 
go back mid January and, you know, finish getting the boat down to Florida to where we're going to jump across the Bahamas and then spend the winter in the Bahamas and not have to transit a boat up and down the coast, like the whole East coast. It's, it's hard on the crew, you know, it's hard on the boat. That's when we came up with the, Hey, we just need a boat in two different places because those are going to be our cruising grounds. So we're going to do that for a few years and see how that works. I mean, is it something that's actually feasible to maintain two boats? Is that going to make us crazy? Because now we've doubled our boat project list. (laughs) Uh, You know, is it something that we just want to, you know, once we're in the Bahamas, keep going south and east and, you know, go from there. And so do more open water, blue water sailing. Although, you know, who knows? We've, I feel like we really have the whole living on board part. We have that pretty well knocked. You know, we can cook and provision and, you know, this new boat's actually got an indoor shower. So we're pretty excited about that. Living on board is going to be the easy part of the this. You know, there's still going to be some, a lot of new things to learn and you know, new cruising grounds and things like that. But I don't know if this was one of your questions or or if it was something in my head that I wanted to share, but living a, aboard a boat really simplifies your life in that, I mean, obviously it's a smaller space, but it's just a more focused existence, if you will, and experience. And describing it to somebody, it's like, yeah, we lived outdoors basically for a year. And it just, it's a, it's a different way of thinking and living and, you know, that I didn't realize that I would enjoy as much as I do. And I thought, oh, it's going to be really hard, you know, to, to leave all my stuff at home and, you know, have such a small space and things like that. But it really, it was just a much much better experience than I expected it to be. That wasn't the hard part. That wasn't the challenging thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's really good. But then what was the challenging thing? You know, as I said before, it was the, the everyday, everything was new. So what you learned yesterday about, you know, anchoring in a particular spot or which way the wind was going or tides or currents or things like that. Only part of that was going to translate to what you needed to know for today. And some days that was, that just felt like, oh my gosh, we need to just not go anywhere for a day or two. (laughs) (laughs) But You know, it was interesting and it was challenging and it was, it was beautiful. I mean, there were areas that were just, I mean, beyond, they were just gorgeous. And, you know, the people that we met and people are so friendly in this country, you know, the, all the the people at marinas and, you know, helpful and things like that. And so it, it was really, I think one of your questions was, maybe talked a little bit about safety or things like that, or were there any, did we ever have concerns? And um, 
honestly, I don't think we ever really did. You know, we stayed in we, on just walls in some small towns where we would just close our door and leave. And, you know, the only thing that we ever felt like we needed to lock up is we locked our dinghy up more probably so it wouldn't float away accidentally <laughs> than somebody coming back. Um, but it was never, you know, we never felt unsafe. Yeah. Oh, that's really good to know. It, it sounds like the challenges that were there, they're more related to boat safety and the boat, like watching out for debris and that kind of thing and watching out for traffic, not necessarily what's around you or where you are at, which is uh, really great to hear. I'm sure uh, anyone who's thinking about doing that is uh, feeling re very reassured to hear that. Mm-hmm. This has been absolutely wonderful to learn from your experience and hear these stories. Uh, I hope we've inspired a, a, a prisoner to, to go uh, learn more about the Great Loop. Um, but thank you for your time, Deb. It was really great. You're welcome. It was fun to share all these memories. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Deb about her journey on the Great Loop. Before I sign off, I want to extend a special thanks to the Patreon crew whose support helps make this podcast possible. Your contributions mean the world to me, so thank you very much. You can check out what's going on in Patreon at patreon.com slash liverboardsailingpodcast. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode, where we'll be featuring more exciting adventures. Until then, bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.